we're on our way to Swan Point Cemetery, the burial place of H.P. Lovecraft. Um, any thoughts, feelings? Lyle, any thoughts or feelings? No. <laughs> I'm excited to see it. You're excited? Yeah. That's a strange reaction. To to see the to see the headstone. Are you happy that he's dead, Kip? Is that what you're trying yeah. to say? No, I just think it's a, a interesting. You know, it's a it's a monument to him, and to see all of these things that he experienced when he was alive mm-hmm. to actually, you know, go to where he's resting is kind of kind of. I don't know. It's I've been reading the stories. This is all like reality now, actually. HP it was really funny to me how Kip was actually thinking about all the right stuff. Yeah, as you'll hear in the clip, he's really right on the money about what should be going on in your mind. He was saying some nice stuff and then we totally ignored him. I know. And then, now Chris, you grew a mustache for the show. I, I did. I did. I just because I wanted to do something different. Honestly, I didn't ultimately like it. I mean, I, I grew one before. I tried it years ago. This yeah, time, well, if you can ignore the wind that was coming into the, the cab while we were talking. By the way, I brought foam to cover up all of our mics and I lost it the first day. I think that yeah. there's some clowns in Providence with big black <laughs> foam noses right now that just ripped us off. But anyway, here's the clip of uh, us talking about the mustache stuff. And honestly, I, I keep forgetting I got this creepy mustache, and it, <laughs> it doesn't change anything. I thought for sure. Um, like, I remember back in the day when I did a mustache for kids, and I just thought I looked like the creepiest dude ever, because it was just the creepy little mustache growing in. And you did a mustache. Well, what does that mean? What does that yeah, mean? Yeah, it was you grew a mustache for a children's charity. Oh, it's like a little like November. It was like exactly. November, it was, but it was, it's actually it was about three dates. Yeah, it's like fifteen that, years ago. But like that doesn't seem like it would go together. You know, it was called mustaches for kids. You'd get it's just like the November thing. I think I know, but you like, know, like a marathon, you know, when you get I people think to of, pledge you, and you grow a mustache for a month. And I got a T-shirt that when, had a little kid on it with a mustache. And yeah, it was and then funny. you give all the stuff to kids' yeah. charities. I know, yeah. but when I think of mustaches, I think of like Chris Hansen, like you know, to catch a predator. Or you're donating mustaches to kids who can't grow them yet. (laughs) (laughs) But that's... It's like a school of fifth graders all with, like, big mustaches. Pasted on. Pasted on. Sound like Strathers in the commercials. These children have no mustaches. I thought for sure it would scare people off, but maybe it freed me in some way. And that freedom became (laughs) an attractive quality. You had a mustache for a while. Or maybe they just oh. instantly think you're friends. I must have your wedding and that's oh, it. Oh, that was it? No. Yeah. Uh, I look in my head. stupid in a mustache. Oh, I didn't think so. I liked it. I was telling you him could, that... You, you'd look good with the... You know, with the full... It's too blonde. It just looks like a creep. It Mine just, doesn't yeah. really come yeah. in. It's really patchy. <laughs> but I tried really hard just recently and discovered that if I wait long enough, the hair right here actually grows much, much faster on my upper lip. Right, right below my... So I was taking out the trash and Heather spied me from her plan across the way and she came back and she's like, you gotta shave that immediately. You look like Hitler. <laughs> Did I tell you about the little girl who came to my... A Halloween dressed as Hitler came to my house? <laughs> no. <laughs> what? Weird, yeah. A little, a little girl. She was probably 12, just like Hitler. <laughs> And I couldn't process it. I actually thought, I was like, this little girl's just like Charlie Chaplin. And then she had an armband. And yeah. Wow. Whoa. Was she with, like, an adult? With other, like, preteens. Oh, okay. Oh. So they, it wasn't, like, chaperoned by... Were they young, young? Or I, I have trouble with the age now. I'm getting old. Okay. But they she was definitely not a teenager. She was, like, well, somebody, prepubescent. Yeah, somebody had to have 
Like, her parents had to do that to her. <laughs> allow her to do it. Yeah. You know, you already know she might have been dressed like Charlie Chaplin when she left the house and then the Nazi gear was, like, <laughs> stashed out behind the garage. Oh, hey, you never know who, who they're going to, you know, who they're going to idolize. You know, some people idolize H.P. Lovecraft. My, <laughs> my guess is she could have just been trying to, like, if she was 12 or 13, thought that would shock people. It, it worked, that man. pretty significant yeah. involved. I feel bad giving her candy like this. <laughs> I should give her a lecture. We got to the cemetery and we were poking around a bit. We walked over to see Lovecraft's grave. Now you'll hear at the beginning of this clip, we were looking at some people had left stuff there. There was a really nice little sculpture. Of Cthulhu. That Lyle had picked up of Cthulhu. And then a gentleman, well, the, the his truck pulled up and he was one of the caretakers of the cemetery. I, I kind of thought we might get hassled a little bit because people yeah, were- Yeah, I thought we were going to get busted. Yeah, well, we weren't doing anything wrong, but I just thought, you know, they would kind of stand around us and make us feel uncomfortable and make us leave. Yeah, but- but then Robert, Robert Lindbergh, he shows up, he comes out, he starts talking to us. He was just, just the nicest guy. Yeah. And he had the most interesting perspective. Here are some excerpts from the conversation we had with Robert. We had to kind of cut around it because the wind was so strong. But the stuff he has to say is amazing. I always feel, do you, is it bad to stand right on them? I don't know. <laughs> I never know if I should stand off to the side or if I'm actually, you know, standing on top of, uh, of Lovecraft. Now, we're going to look at that sculpture. Is it bad to pick that up? No, do it. You guys know that both of his parents live next door at the mental hospital before they passed away. We do. Is so it next door? It's literally like if you... There's a there's a chain link fence, so which, I don't know which way you guys came to the cemetery. Yeah, but you passed a way. big cement or big granite rock that said Butler. Uh, that's, oh, that's was an insane asylum. Now it's a mental hospital. Oh. Right. So <laughs> if you lose your shit, that's where you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of funny that you know, like they were there for years, and the only time they left is when they died, and then they came almost back to the same address. Just uh, yeah. did now? Do you know who he is? Before you started working here? I've never... Oh, no. No. No, no I've never read any of his stuff, but yeah. meeting people, I'm becoming an expert in H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. Because, um, like, when it snows, like, we had two feet of snow this year, right? I had every single road completely blocked, couldn't drive anything back here. There were already footprints back here to him. So people brave, like, literally walking with two feet of snow. Footprints? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily. If they're, if they're much bigger, I'm not going near that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to play all that. But yeah, no, because there's always people here. Like, on his death day, they do ceremonies. On his birthday day, they do ceremonies. Yeah. Just people come out here all the time. And they're constantly leaving stuff. And <laughs> it's the people that think they know a lot about him and do stupid things, like bring him alcohol and cigarettes. Yeah. And it's like, no. dumbass. Yeah. Like, guy didn't drink, guy didn't smoke. <laughs> no. What are you doing? You know, like, yeah. freaking hipsters and fungus and uh, herbs. Oh, that somebody put down there? Oh, they... Yeah, like seashells show up here all the time. It, it, you know, it's like every once in a while it'll go for several. Like they've started cleaning off the whole marker every time, so this is a small fraction of what's usually on there. Yeah. But people start like they'll leave stones and coins, mm -hmm. stuff that means stuff, and then you have other people pull up and go, "Oh, well, I'll leave something," and they're like just whatever's in their pockets, like <laughs> buttons, and it's like, like well, don't do things just to do things. Do things because they're important. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So in '93, someone tried to dig him up. No. What? Really? Yeah. yeah. Which, if you look at, since he wasn't a particularly short man, there would have been a problem, since there's not enough room. So, wait, how did they, what do they do then? Do they bury? Is he under this monument? It's just a marker and he's... No, 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 um, no, the marker came later. There are some months where, I, I don't know, people travel here and, like, they really put down a lot of stuff. I mean, we've had times where, like, the base is gone. You know, it's just buried so under covered. stuff. Yeah, you know. That is nuts. 
So this week with this going on, it came over the radio like Monday. Like You're like, oh, no. Every single day it's got to be cleared off. Yeah. And so I wish I had caught whoever made the statue there because I'd be like, don't, look, don't leave it. Take pictures, you know, up against the side of it so you don't see anything. But yeah. don't leave it because that's nice enough. It might go into my office for up to a year. But <laughs> some, well, no, no, seriously, like if it were anybody else's marker and you put something down, hopefully not that satanic looking, oh, yeah. but, you know, you put down something that someone really spent some time on, it would sit in my office for a year and then... Once a year, they bring in the front end loader and they have fun smashing everything and putting it in there and dumping it in a dumpster. Yeah. And that's what's going to happen to that. Yeah. So, but it's um, it's really great to have this perspective from yeah. from you because you, yeah, this is super fascinating. Well, he, he, like I don't think of him as famous. He's infamous yeah. because there are other very much more important people in the cemetery. Like you have General Burnside, right. who gave us the sideburns. He's a park manager. He was a terrible general and not a very good governor, <laughs> evidently either. But, you know, you know, like, we have a guy on one of the other lots who uh, fought in the Spanish-American War. And he was killed by a cannonball. And you know that because the cannonball that killed him is on top of his marker, wow. surrounded by cannons. <laughs> that just seems like a big middle finger to me. Like, yeah. if I got stabbed <laughs> to death, I don't, I don't want a knife on top of my casket. I don't want to be surrounded by knives, you yeah. know? Like, but, uh, like, for him, we have a generator the size of my Jeep for him for October. With Halloween, we have to bring out a light pod to, to light up this area so people will stay away. trying to dig somebody up. Yeah, that's, that's Qualifies up there pretty high. No, and that was weird because they only got down about three feet, which we all know buried slightly deeper, but he's he's probably not in a cement line thing like when you get buried now. Sure. Like the zombie apocalypse will never happen because you're in a casket you have to break out of. You're in like a cement vault that's got like a 400 pound lid and then you have a ton of earth above you that you have to dig through. So it's not going to happen. If the no. zombies come out, they're going to have nubs for arms, you know? Well, just, you got no leverage. You're like laying down to try yeah. and yeah. get your way out. If we've all seen Kill Bill, you know what you're up against. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, there's nothing weird with him. It's people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's... I mean, all this is, is a body six feet under and some, a stone. So it's The irony the of a bunch of guys who are at a convention for a guy who fits that description. Yeah. It's kind of funny, but... <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, his le- I mean, you know, he's got a legacy uh, that's, that has influenced generations of writers and filmmakers and all well, this stuff, so... Like, I know what happens with him. I can't imagine what's going to happen with Stephen King, who was inspired by oh, Lovecraft. Like, I know, yeah. When he yeah. dies, I don't want to be the guy running a cemetery for the guy who wrote Pet Cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> probably not going to work out in my favor. Poe's buried in France, right? Who? Poe? Is it? Well, sure. Well, I was assuming it was involved. Jim Morrison's buried in France. Man, I'm, uh, I'm getting confused. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> po- they're both poets. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, but if you look at the difference, if you've seen pictures of Jim Morrison, his place is just wrecked. Oh, There's yeah. graffiti oh, yeah. everywhere, and Wine, anytime everywhere. they do that here, we take care of it because it's not right. Yeah. It does. I mean, you can see from your you're saying this little like stains, stains and yeah. swatch marks all over the place. So once every five years, every stone doesn't matter who it is. They they always get washed. Because there's a few stones in here, you know. But yeah. they, you know, they have a guy that that's all he does is basically is wash stones and set stuff in. I'm surprised no one's tried to steal his headstone. Like, I'm not saying that all HP Lovecraft people are terrible people, but I mean, like, I'm surprised out of all of the shenanigans people could do, it can't be that heavy. I mean, it's not like this. Like, don't, no one's going to steal on. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We won't play that. We're not gonna. Yeah. We're gonna cut that part. We don't <laughs> give anybody ideas. <laughs> well, you guys just missed. There were two girls here. They had a Cthulhu that had beach attire on yeah so like had a straw hat and right. you know like 
you know, like the Hawaiian shirt and shorts. I was like, I don't know much about this, but that seems like contradictory to what's yeah, going yeah. on here, you know? It's a lot of people, I think, that the kind of the cutification of Cthulhu is pretty ridiculous. The only thing with that, though, is, you know what, is that if you get it out of the realm where it's definitely dark stuff, more people will at least read some of his work. Yeah, the more people true. that read his stuff, the more popular he'll yeah. become. So, it depends on which way you're going with it in, as a whole. I'm really glad you came over and talked yeah, to us, man. This you. is a great stuff. Yeah, thank you. Wow, I wish my ex-wife had that opinion. <laughs> he said uh, there were more important people in the cemetery, but then the two people he talked about was a guy who invented sideburns. Who cares? And then the other guy got killed by a cannon. Like, How are they more important? They're not more important. You were wrong, sir. You were wrong. <laughs> I think it was just that he's just some writer and, yeah, you know, like some obscure writer that nobody really knows about. But just from the stories that he told us, that place, that grave is visited a lot by a lot of people. And one of the things he didn't talk to us about, what they bust people the most doing on that grave is having sex. Yeah. I don't get what, it. What's that about? Let's move on to the convention. There were panels the whole time. Lots of and stuff going on. Uh, we only got to sit in on a few. I felt like we missed so much. There's so many more things that I wanted to do, so many locations I want to go to, and great talks. Yeah, great talks. And unfortunately for you, the only ones that we were able to really record were the ones that we were involved in, because <laughs> we were there, obviously. There was an online panel that I sat in on. It was Alex uh, House Stan, who runs HP Lovecraft on Facebook. I mean, he is HP Lovecraft on yeah. Facebook. Mm -hmm. There was Mike Davis from the Lovecraft Easy. And Lehman Kessler, who I had not met before, he does a show called Ask Lovecraft. Mm -hmm. But in this segment from that online panel, the very first thing that people asked was, would Lovecraft like the Internet? So we all came to the conclusion that he would have, he would have loved most of it um, because he was on basically a 1920s, 1930s version of the Internet. I mean, he was, he was writing letters back and forth, you know, and so forth. And I think he would have, he would have loved it. Well, yeah, he was essentially like the, the early equivalent of like a forum moderator. I mean, he was this guy who was connecting people together and sort of challenging people and, and, and throwing things back and forth. I mean, even his early sort of editorials in the in the amateur press were these responses to what people were saying and saying, no, that's not true. If you look at this, this, this. I mean, he was that that classic pedant. Yeah, and I, I this uh, Children's Hospital is a show they have on Cartoon Network. I don't know if you've seen it, but they had a joke on there recently where a character faked her own death because she had too many emails. And so we were re looking at some of Lovecraft's letters later in his life, and he was complaining about the exact same anxiety. He had started correspondence with so many different people that he just couldn't keep up, and he was getting... Uh, people I talk to, they have this anxiety now. I can't keep up with my Facebook, my emails, and all these things. And he was going through the same thing. The other thing about it that I find is interesting is he had such a far-flung group of people that he was writing with, and their connection wasn't based on demographics. It was based on their shared interests in weird fiction and, and that sort of thing. And as a result, he, he had made friends with people of varying ages and all sorts of different geographies and that kind of thing. Uh, when we were talking about uh, Barlow, one of his friends, there's a funny story where they had been writing back and forth for some time and then he went to visit him in Florida, only to find out that he was a teenager. Uh, and he ended up staying with his family, his parents, and this kid that he had been corresponding with. And that is an internet experience if I've ever heard one. <laughs> uh, I, I've been reading through uh, his early letters with the Derleth. And sort of, you know, they're kind of going back and forth and talking, and Durleth is in college, and talking about being in college. And then at one point, Lovecraft just sort of casually throws in, oh, and, and if you have a photograph you'd like to send, I, I certainly wouldn't mind. At which I realize is the birth of, send things, please. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, uh, of Google, just briefly, I, I pulled some search stats because I was wondering how many people are looking up Lovecraft on a daily basis, and, or on a monthly basis. That's the only information I could get. But, you know, Joshi yesterday at the keynote was talking about, oh, you know, the only 
circulated like 100 copies of his stuff, 200 copies maybe of his books in his lifetime. So I just, with Google, they give you directional information. You can't get specific search stats, but it's an estimation of monthly searches. I put in two seed keywords, Lovecraft and Cthulhu. And totals of all the iterations of those different queries that came out monthly worldwide, it was about 1,077,330 queries. Different variations of that. So every month, over a million people are looking for Lovecraft online and trying to learn more about him. Um, some of the, in the top 10, I found this really interesting. I put in Lovecraft and Cthulhu, right? Cthulhu is the top. That uh, 301,000 searches a month on Cthulhu. They'll also iterate some things that are often associated, searches that people do before or after a thing. So number two, under Cthulhu, is Poe, which I found really surprising, that, given that Poe is taught in curriculums all over the world, that this fictional character is number one, then it's Poe, number three is Lovecraft, number four is H.P. Lovecraft. Um, and then as you go down to the tail terms of things that people are searching for, it gets a little weirder and weirder. I won't bore you with all of that now, but if something comes up, I'll see if I can... Uh, throw some of that out. And uh, that kind of ties into what Joshua was talking about. Like, well, how, how is Lovecraft so famous? Like, what, what really is, is helping perpetuate this guy's work? And, man, the internet is really doing it, obviously. Now, that night, we went over, you know, Donovan Locks, we've had him on the show before. He's the inventor of HBLovecraft.com. It's an outstanding site, and we've used it all of the time on the show. Every week we use it. He is such an outstanding guy, and we were invited to his house for a small gathering. His wife, Pamela, was so nice. They gave us a this amazing tour of their house. We were talking about stealing stuff immediately. <laughs> you are such an ungrateful guest. Come in here, drinking my beer, eating my pizza. Well, Already stole a few things. Yeah. Do I need to count the silverware when you're gone? Anyway, while we were there, that was Donovan, you heard. I turned on my dictaphone to just kind of, you know, record the atmosphere. We went over and we were talking to S.T. Joshi. It, somehow it came up that S.T. Joshi is of Indian descent. Even though he's from Muncie, Indiana, he couldn't be more westernized and American. But while we were just talking, he said this, which I hadn't heard before. Because that famous comment that Lovecraft made in the 30s, the more one thinks about India, the more one wants to vomit. Actually, oh, oh, <laughs> no, when he was thinking about the whole turmoil with Gandhi and all that stuff, you know, we love to believe that the British Empire should always oh, rule India and everywhere else. He's uh, an Anglophile. He was an Anglophile, that's fine. I, I understand that sentiment. Uh, you know, he what? was a man of his time. You know, that's he he agreed with the sentiment. He said he understood. I understood yes. where he's coming from. a big from. difference. And the thing is, you know, he's not an Anglophile. You know, everybody says, oh, well, what would Lovecraft think of an Indian, you know, editing Lovecraft? I have a oh, feeling sure Lovecraft that Lovecraft would have been absolutely fine like, with anybody <laughs> being a scholar on his work. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things probably would have changed. After that party, we, we decided to walk from Donovan's uh, through College Hill at night uh, down back into the town. The program had a walking map of Lovecraft locations. And I'm like, hey, this is going to take us right through these. So let's check out some of these places. So at night, we walked through these neighborhoods, which were beautiful. And I felt so safe. And it, it, was, it was just so cool. And we saw the ward, how, the house that... The case of Charles Dexter Ward, Ward Mansion was based off of, and it was still like a cool-looking semi-evil mansion that we walked yeah. by. That that might have been the highlight for the the convention for me. There was just something about oh, really? the atmosphere of it. Yeah, and just being with you guys, and 
and being there and just something about it seems so visceral and well that's and, funny because man you went to bed after that but i went to the costume i part. did i couldn't again my jet lag was killing me so i'm just going i need to be fresh for tomorrow because we're gonna have our show yeah well the first clip you heard in this entire show was from an act called the silver screen spook show who were playing the at the biltmore ballroom for the big party that night it was mm-hmm. a costume party people looked great it was so fun i've seen the pictures and yeah 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 there was great music there's a band called the eyesores that played and they're a local band and they were outstanding at some point i think the silver screen spook show was doing something called the uh abdul hazrid's hooked on phonics where they had a big necronomicon book and people were just coming up and reading and saying crazy stuff well here's an excerpt of what that sounded like <laughs> So I felt really good about what was going on because all weekend I felt like such an idiot. There were so many scholars there and people who were a lot smarter than me. So yeah. to be in a rock and roll environment, it made me feel safe for the first time when people were just crazy and stupid. <laughs> well, the next day you were on a panel that was about film. You, Andrew, Sean Branny, Stuart Gordon, uh, Mars Homeworld, and Tom Glisserman, who made that uh, thing on the doorstep adaptation. Yeah. That is really new. I think it was being screened there. If you listen to the show and you're interested, I guess we could release the whole panel. It will be online over at yawksawthoth.com. Oh, it will? Oh, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah, so okay. it, if it's not up yet, it'll be up soon. Somebody asked, what story should you pick if, say, you wanted to make a Lovecraft adaptation? And I love what Stuart said, because I think this is true of any film project you take on. I think it's all about choosing the right story. You know, I think that there are, you know, uh, some of his stories are very, would be very, very difficult uh, to adapt. Actually, I think Call of Cthulhu is one of the most difficult to adapt, and I'm kind of amazed that these guys pulled it off. Um, the stories that I think work the best are the ones that are the most sort of action-packed, you know, or, you know, uh, movies are about action. And uh, some of his stories, there are some great stories of his that are just full of action. Um, and those are the ones that I think, you know, you should concentrate on. Um, it makes it a lot easier. I also think, um, you know, as uh, Andrew said, it's not about, you know, his stories are not about, really about character development, usually. Um, and so it's kind of bringing that element to it as well. I don't think you can literally just take his story and just, you know, turn it into a script form and shoot it. Uh, Despite I, the fact that many people will insist that that's how it should be done. Right. <laughs> I, th- I think you have to put it into cinematic terms. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that I think is what I would say any of you are thinking about making a Lovecraft movie. It's really all about the script. You know, the script is 90% of the problem and, and uh, that you really got to work on that script. And that's what takes forever. Uh, and get it right before you start shooting. Everybody's always in a big hurry to want to just get that camera out and start cranking. Um, but you really got to get that script right, and it'll take you know six months to a year, sometimes even longer, you know, before you've got a script that's ready to go. Sometimes even longer. <laughs> the whole thing developed into this conversation about why aren't people making more Lovecraft movies? Another factor of it that I I don't know if there's any way to know, but. Stewart's saying, you know, it's public domain, or, or arguably public domain. I don't think that's a question that's been definitively settled. And one reason, I, one way that the big movie studios 
guaranteed the risk of $200 million is merchandising and owning things. And if Lovecraft material is public domain, no one can own it. If, if, if Disney can't own the rights and then turn around and turn it into lunchboxes and video games and everything else, then they're not gonna think it's worth the investment. If, if, if it's public domain, they can't own it. And if they can't own it, they can't monetize it. So in some ways, the fact that it's public domain, I think might actually be inhibiting the kind of big budget studio productions that we might or might not wish we could see. I don't think I agree with that, actually. No? No, I, I mean, there's been movies made of the Bible, you know, I mean, there's been movies made of, you know... You know. <laughs> but precious few lunchboxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I, I, I'm actually seeing some of those lunchboxes. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, if, if it's a good story, if it's... It, what, what the studio's looking for is something, and, and this kind of bugs me, it's something that is recognizable. You know, they want to have, uh, you know, how many movies of the Three Musketeers has there been? Yeah. You know, this is, Sherlock Holmes, this is public, yeah. public domain, or Sherlock Holmes. The public domain stuff is, you know, if it's, if it's a title that people respond to, yeah. then, uh, you know, that, that helps you. And I think with Lovecraft, there are certain titles of his that are more famous than others. I think, you know, a movie of the Dunwich Horror would have a better chance than, uh, yeah. you know, Nyarlathope or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, um, so, you know, it's, it's, again, I think it's choosing the right piece of material. You know, there's a, there's a Lovecraft story, and I mentioned this at the last panel I was on, um, which I, you know, I'd, I'd rather see Guillermo del Toro do this than, uh, than at the Mountains of Madness, because I feel like at the Mountains of Madness has been made at least three times already. It's, it's essentially the thing. Uh, there's a there's a story that Lovecraft wrote for Harry Houdini called oh. Imprisoned with the Pharaohs. You know this this would be uh, a huge could be a huge blockbuster movie. You know uh, it's tons of action. You got to recognize you know if it's, as soon as you say Houdini, everybody knows who that is. And um, you know this is a very very could be a very commercial project. Coverage got a little spotty after that point. We both were super nervous about doing the show that night at the Providence Hotel. Absolutely. Hello. Everyone, welcome. Glad you all could make it. Um, before we get started, we're going to do just a bit of a warm up. This is yeah. something uh, that we did with our show in Leeds, and it was fun. So we're going to do it again here. We're recording some stuff to use on the show. We'll start with an easy one. I'm going to say hppodcraft.com, and then I'd like everybody to kind of give us a good uh, zombieish kind of moan, like as if you are a zombie horde. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. You ready? <clears throat> hppodcraft. It sounded really nice. Yeah. We talked to people after the show for a long time. Waterfire Providence was going on. Yeah. And they had a lot dedicated to the convention. I think they had a big puppet that came out of the water and all this kind of stuff. So we missed a lot of that. I was bushed and I was like, I don't care if Cthulhu himself shows up to this uh, <laughs> fire water or water fire thing. I'm going to bed. I can't handle anymore. Yeah. But my parents. It was funny. Your parents stayed up. They're like, yeah, we're going to go rocket. And <laughs> I was like, oh man, my parents are going to go hang out with Chad Lyle and Andrew. Yeah, I was trying to imagine when I was 15 if I ever would have thought, yeah, someday Lyle and I will just be out with Lackey's parents in downtown Providence going to a rock show. <laughs> I mean, there's no way I would have ever imagined. <laughs> no, no. But they were great company, and we were a little lost when we went down to the waterfront. 
And then we ran into Donovan Locks, who was out there with Pamela. And he said, oh, go this way. And he walked with us. And he had seen the, I guess they had some technical problems with the puppets. Yeah. They ended up having them try to hold it up to try to pick the thing up so it would look right. And he said it looked like a bunch of people cuddling with a big Cthulhu. It just came off badly. So then they wheel, they, they carted the thing out of there. So we okay. missed it all. Well, had you said they hoisted a giant Cthulhu puppet out of the water, I probably would have thought, well, I'm sad that I missed that. Yeah. But now that I know it all fell apart, exactly. I'm really sad that I missed it because that would have been amazing. So, you know, I'm not, look, they put a huge effort into it. and I think the whole event went off great. I'm not trying to make fun of what happened there, but... Uh, Boy, I wish I could have seen that. Yeah, it, but it's. <laughs> I've heard it was pretty impressive. You can go on YouTube and find clips if you do a search for Cthulhu Waterfire. You can find uh -huh. it, find some clips and, and get a sense of what it was like. The puppet is amazing. Yeah, it was, it was a super cool puppet from pictures. Again, I wasn't there. I went to bed. <laughs> well, the band that was headlining the whole event was the Darkest of the Hillside Thickets, and once they started playing. This person quickly became my favorite person of the whole time I was there. I never even saw what this person looked like, but I was holding my recorder up. He was right over my shoulder. But it's 40,000 people coming through. They're not all Lovecraft fans, so there no. were a lot of people who had no idea what was... The convention was like, oh, maybe 2,000 people? It wasn't that big of a convention. And so but, there's 40,000 people coming to see this... Which really does look like a giant satanic ritual. There's people in robes, really they're, they're chanting stuff. It's evil looking, and I could see people getting a little weirded up by yeah, that. Yeah, totally, but this guy got so into it. Yeah. I think I'd listen to this clip about 2,000 times. I mean... <laughs> I love it, especially in a second you'll hear he gets corrected by whoever he was with who said, because the lead singer of Darkest of the Hillside Thickets was wearing this onesie, this uh -huh. red onesie, yeah. and he had a big octopus kind of head on. Yeah. And this guy just decided he was Squid Man, but at some point his friend goes, no, no, he's not Squid, he's an octopus. And you hear that happen. <laughs> Something happened when you came back uh, from there. There was now there was a bunch of people dressed up like transvestites that weren't uh -huh. obviously transvestites. They were kind of showy. And I saw them the whole night, and I just thought they were weird Lovecraft fans. But you found out that they weren't. There was a Rocky Horror Picture Show convention going on at the same time. I had no idea. It was like two in the morning. Everybody was wrapping up. Uh, everybody was drunk outside the hotel. And that's when I realized that's what was going on. So just really quick, I interviewed a couple of people who were standing out there. I wish I'd gotten their names, but they were really sweet. And I, we'll just listen to this clip. Tell me what brought you into Rocky Horror. I, 
the community. The community. The community. It's a community. Of, if you're an outcast growing up or whatnot, you're going to meet other outcasts, and they become friends. Like, yeah. I've been doing rock yard for 11 years. And I have friends all over the world You now. do the stage show in front of the motion picture. Yeah, a little shadow cast. Shadow cast, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, anybody is welcome to Rocky Heart. Yeah. It doesn't matter, like, who you are, what you're into. Everybody's welcome. I thought that that did such a good job to summarize why we were even there. Yeah. And I think it was also a good summary of why we had such a great time. Everybody seemed like old friends. Yeah, it was tough to leave and and uh, I just want to thank everybody who put that convention together. We just had such a great time. Yeah, outstanding time. I want to thank all of the people that supported our Kickstarter so that we can go out there and be a part of it and just yeah. the people that we met and that were so cool and so nice. The roundtable discussions are coming up soon. Right. Down the road, we're going to have our episode on Beowulf and I'm reading Seamus Heaney's translation of it and it's, mm. it's beautiful. He's a poet, Irish poet, outstanding. He just died while I'm reading this book, which is sort of freaked me out because (laughs) I had the book sitting next to me while I was listening to the radio and I looked down because when it said Seamus Heaney passed away, I looked down at the book to go, wait, that's the guy. And I saw the name on the book and said, oh no, and somehow felt responsible. That's like when I uh, took that photo of Ray Bradbury's gravestone and they died the next day. (laughs) I hope that as we move on past Lovecraft, his preoccupation with writing people and corresponding and developing friendships is really the thing, even if you don't like what he writes, the idea is let's all communicate about not just our lives, but this this third element, you know, ideas. Let's get together and t- I don't know what the fuck I'm yeah, saying. Dude, I sounded great, man. You were all totally on a roll there. I can't overemphasize this enough. Reading is one of the best things that you can do. We live in a world that is completely media obsessed and screen obsessed and there is noise constantly sit down and read a story shut it all out participate in the life of the mind <laughs> i didn't mean to get all heavy on no that's true but it's you're you're right absolutely and that's what i want us to do with this show and any future projects that we do to get people not just to read but to talk about reading and talk about yeah. the ideas that are in these books with that i am chris lackey i'm chad pfeiffer and you've been listening to the hp lovecraft literary podcast at hbpodcraft.com hbpodcraft.com